The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. This morning, you should have received one of these, one of these magnets. If you don't know what this is, then you weren't at church last weekend. But it's okay. It's okay. No guilt. No shame here. We've got a uh, on our website where you can watch all of our messages. You can stream all of our messages, which reminds me, good morning to all of our people that are t- tuning in on uh, YouTube Live right now. Welcome to New Song Church. You may not be here today, but we are glad that you are tuning in. And then the second thing is this. Second thing is this. Easter is next weekend. I'm so pumped. Easter is good, and we are a- anticipating a crowd of people coming in and tons of first-time guests. And so here Here's what we'd like to put in front of you. If you usually attend our nine o'clock or our 1045 services, for one, remember all of our service times are changing. So we're meeting at eight, at 9.30, at 11, and at 12.30. But if you usually attend one of those two middle services, our nine or our 1045 service, here's what we'd ask you to do. We'd ask you to consider to attend one of our two outside services. Not outside, out there. Outside and times, either our eight o'clock or our 12.30 service. Here's why. Most first-time guests are going to come to that 9.30 or that 11 o'clock service. And we want to steward people the best way that we can. We want to make sure we've got plenty of room in all of our kids' classes in and in here. So if you've invited a family to come with you and you guys are planning on attending at that 9.30 or 11 o'clock service, that's fine. Keep coming. But if you're not, we'd ask that you would consider to move to one of our two outside services. And third and finally, before I get started, I would be remiss if I didn't take this opportunity in front of you just to tell you how much I love our pastors. Thank you guys so much for what you do. It's, it's such an honor to be a part of what you guys, what God's building in this city through you guys. And it, it, we have this saying at New Song, our, our next days are our best days. And I know every day being led by you guys, I know that's going to be true for me and my family. And so love you guys. Can we just give a little bit of love to our pastors this morning? Well, hey, let me pray and then we will kick this off. Lord, I love you. We love you. We're here for you today. Would you open up our eyes, open up our ears? We might see and hear you in a new way today. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Amen. Well, we've been in this series over the past couple weeks called Influencer, where we've been talking about the influence that each of us have been given by God to place us where he's placed us in order to make a kingdom difference in this world. Pastor Josh talked a couple weeks ago about how our vocation is our ministry location. And then Pastor Sarah talked an amazing message last week, man. That was so good. I told her, hey, next time you ask me to come speak, I request to be in front of you. I don't want to close up a a series after a message like that. It was so good. The message that will forever be known as the LaCroix message. If you weren't here, she talked about how LaCroix has that kind of bleh taste because it doesn't have any salt in it. And she talked about how we're called to be the salt and the light in this world, that we're not called to be a hint of hope flavored Christianity, but we're called to live a full of hope flavored Christianity, that we're not called to live a hint of passed by a truck full of the Holy Spirit on the way to the supermarket flavored Christianity, but we're called to live a full of the Holy Spirit bursting with his goodness and works in us. Pastor Sarah preached an amazing message last week as she talked about how our role is to come as salt in this world and enhance the God flavors, to bring the God flavors, to show his light. And so this morning, what I want to do is I want to get really, really practical. If you would, open with me to your Bibles to Matthew 28. And if you're one of those people that needs a title at the top of your notes, here's what it is. It's the commission. The commission. 
In Matthew 28, we find the last words of Jesus. After all of the 33 years of ministry on earth, after all the miracles, after all the healings, after the cross, after being raised from from dead to life again, I imagine the disciples are wondering this question, what now? What now, Jesus? And I think it's a question that a lot of us as believers have asked from time to time. See, we've, we've come to be born again in him and we get this new revelation of who God is and who we are in him. But we can find ourselves asking the question, what now? What now, Jesus? And this is what Jesus replies. Matthew 28, it says this. Jesus says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Everyone say go. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. This is what we call the Great Commission. And it's just as relevant today as it was 2,000 years ago. Therefore, go. Go where? Well, to your workplaces, to your families, to the gym where you work out, to the Starbucks you go to, to the school that you attend. Wherever you go, go, but go with a purpose, Don't just go, go with the purpose. And the purpose is what? To make disciples of all nations. So then what what keeps us from going? If the mission is clear and we know that our purpose here on this earth is to go, what's keeping us from going and going with a purpose? Well, I think there are four myths that we've believed. Four misconceptions we have about sharing our faith, about inviting people to church, about talking to people about God. Four myths that we that keep us from going and going with a purpose. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes, write this down. I don't talk to people about God because I don't know enough. I don't know enough. See, I think a lot of people have a hard time talking to people about God because they feel like they don't know enough about God or about the word of God. I think we, we, we get it in our minds that we have to know as much as Pastor Josh does about, about the Bible and, and about who God is. I feel like we get in our minds that we, we need to know every verse there is to know and every aspect there is to know about God. But if that's you, I want to give you a little freedom this morning. There's no magic school that you have to graduate from of Christianity in order for you to be qualified to share your faith. You don't have to know every verse there is to know. You don't have to know every, uh, everything there is to know about God. You're going to spend the rest of your life growing closer to him. And we should be, be seeking and pursuing knowledge and growth in our relationship with God. But you'll spend the rest of your life getting to know that. But, but, but why does not knowing keep us from going? Well, I think, I think it's one of these things. I think we're afraid. What happens if they ask me a question to something that I don't have the answer to? Or what if, what if they want to start a debate with me about Christianity and about why it's different than, than maybe another religion or, or, or why, do good thing, why do bad things happen to good people? And I, I, think, I think maybe we get in our minds, well, what if they don't, what if they ask me a question or want to talk to you about something that maybe I just don't feel like I have enough knowledge about? And if that's you, if you've ever found yourself in that situation, I want to give you an answer that is perfectly suitable to any of those questions. Okay, are you ready? This is a pretty profound answer right here. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know is a perfectly acceptable answer to give to anyone. Why? Because there's only one answer that the Bible requires us to be able to give an answer about. Check this out with me in 1 Peter 3.15. This is the only thing that we have to be able to answer. It says this. And if someone asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. I love what the message version says. It says this, be ready to speak up 
and tell anyone who asks why you're living the way that you are and always with the utmost courtesy. The only answer that you have to be ready to give as a follower of Jesus is why you put your hope in him, why you live the way that you do, why you use the Bible as your standard of living. And the answer is simple. Answer is simple. You just talk about what Jesus has done for you, what he means to you, how kind and compassionate and patient he's been towards you. This is such a powerful tool, such a powerful answer because, listen, no one can argue with your testimony. It's your story, your account of the hope that you found in Jesus. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but now I'm found. I was broken, but now I'm whole. My marriage was on the rocks, but now it's stronger than ever. You tell your story. You tell a story like I saw this week on Facebook. One of the families in our church, Bethany and Evan Lindsay, they've got a little sweet eight-month-old girl named Addison. This was their story that they told. It's been three days since Addison has spit up. The past eight months have been a roller coaster, to say the least, with her acid reflux. It started when she was about three weeks old and progressively got worse to the point that we took her to the ER to make sure nothing was severely wrong. We visited a nutritionist biweekly to make sure she was gaining weight, even just an ounce. We went through about five to 10 outfits a day and had her on Zantac twice daily. About the time that we were at our wits end, having tried everything, I love this, our pastor's wife, Pastor Sarah, prayed over Addison in the nursery and shared a few verses for us to stand on. Evan and I have stood on those and have believed for the Lord to heal her. It gradually got better over the last month or two, but still wasn't completely gone, but now it is. Tears are rolling as I type this because the Lord has been there every step of the way and our baby girl is healed. Thank you, Jesus. Man, you wanna talk about what will mess with the headspace of an atheist? Like, you want to talk about what will blow up the box of somebody who wants to argue the existence of God? Like, if someone comes to you with some questions about things that you don't know the answers to, like, like, like carbon dating or what about the dinosaurs or, or questions that, you know, they just found on a, on a YouTube channel somewhere trying to argue the existence of God, you can say, listen, I don't know about all those things. All I know is that my baby girl was sick. She had acid reflux and we didn't know what to do. But Jesus, just think about that, parents, five to 10 outfits a day. Have you ever put a newborn in a onesie? It's like you're resurrecting some medieval form of torture for them. Like they squirm and they scream. Like God didn't just heal their daughter, but he saved their sanity. Like, <laughs> but my point is like, listen, I don't know all of this. There's a whole lot out there that I don't know. But I do know, I do know this. God's been good to me. God's been kind to me. God's been compassionate to me. Listen, you don't have, the an- have to have the answer to every question. You just have to know the answer, and the answer is Jesus. People aren't convinced by facts or debate. They're convinced by your story, your account of this hope that we found in Jesus. So this, the, the first lie is this, I don't know enough. The second lie is this, it leads, me, leads us right into it. My testimony isn't impressive. My testimony isn't impressive. Like we just talked about, our testimony is the single most powerful bit of information that you could ever share with anyone. But some of us, myself included, sometimes we just feel like we can't share it because we feel like, you know what, maybe my story isn't as impressive as some of the other ones that I've heard. 
I think we think um, that that it's this crazy little lie that the enemy gets us to believe where we get in this headspace of comparison. And we hear these stories of uh, of miracles that God's done in people's life or, or, or stories where people were going down a really rough road, but they heard about Jesus and he turned their life around. Or we hear about addictions and, and alcoholics that, that all of a sudden Jesus turned their life around. And we begin to think, you know what, since my story doesn't look like theirs, it must not be as impressive or effective. As if Jesus did something more for that person than for you. Listen, maybe on paper, your testimony doesn't look as life or death as some of the other stories out there. But I guarantee you, it's just as life or death. Without Jesus doing what he's done for you, you'd be broken, you'd be lost, you'd be hurting, you'd be headed for hell, but Jesus. See, listen, our testimony isn't this 45-second account that we rehearse and tell about how once I was lost and then I met Jesus and now everything is perfect now. The end, that's just the beginning of your testimony. Your testimony is what God is bringing you through right now. It's talking about what our amazingly good God has done for you. This is a bit of my story. God has been so good to me. I don't, I don't know where I would be without Jesus. Like, I honestly don't. He's done so much more for me than secure my eternal destination, even though that's the biggest thing he's done for me by far. But I think of all the ways that he's come through for me. Like when Kaylee and I first moved here to help, Kaylee's my wife, when we first moved here to help plant this church, we left our jobs, our schools, our security, everything that we knew in Texas, and we moved here to Oklahoma with with not a job prospect lined up at all, but we still had bills to pay, we still had school to pay for. And I think about how during that season, how he miraculously provided for us. Like, y'all, I can't, I can't tell you, I don't understand. I don't understand. We would get to the end of every month. We would go, I don't know how there's more money in our account than there was at the beginning. Because I know how much we're making and I know how much we're spending. I, I don't get it. But listen, I, I really believe that God spoke money into our bank account. Just the way that he provided for us seems so miraculous. I think about, I think about, about a year ago, I, I, I was having honest to goodness night terrors at night. Like the ones where you clench your, you, you run out of breath and you're clenching your chest. And I, I was sitting in, in, in the bed in our bedroom of the first house that we've, we've ever bought. This huge person purchased this big step of faith for us. And we had a baby on the way. And at night, I would just get gripped by this anxiety of like, how, how are we going to afford this? How are we going to pay for this? And I think about how the presence of God just came and washed over every anxiety. Like I think about how like in a moment, the voice of our sweet, Savior came. He whispered in my ear. He said, hey, son, I'm going to take care of you. I love your family more than you do. I think about all the the ways that he's come through for me. Every time that he's healed me. Every time that he is, he's shown me something new. Every time that he's walked with me through something. Listen, that's, that's what my Jesus has done for me. That's what Jesus means to me. The question in front of you today is what does Jesus mean to you? What has Jesus done for you? That's your testimony. And people need to hear it. So second lie that we believe is that my testimony isn't impressive. The third lie is this, and this is going to sting just a little bit for all of us today. Someone else will do it. I don't talk to people about God because someone else will do it. We've all been here, whether it's a prophetic word that we've been given to share with someone random at Target. Or maybe it's a coworker that God's put it on your heart to invite them to church or Maybe it's someone that you see that's sick and you feel led to go share with them about the healing that Jesus offers us and pray for them. And be it because of insecurity or be it because of fear or maybe just apathy, we half-heartedly hope. Man, well, if God really wants to do it, 
then he'll send someone else. If God really wants to do it, then he'll send someone else. And listen, I just want to say in front of all of us and myself included this morning, I'm so glad. Aren't you glad Jesus didn't think this way? Like, aren't you glad Jesus didn't think, you know what, God, I'm, I'm really comfortable right now in heaven. And I'm a little busy being the light of heaven right now. You're going to have to find somebody else. No, he didn't. What did he do? He answered the call. He saw a need. He filled a need. If we look in Isaiah, we find a story where God has this message that he's desperately wanting to get out to his people. In Isaiah 6, we find this account between Isaiah, this interaction between Isaiah and God in this dream that Isaiah is having. This is what, this is what we read, Isaiah 6, 8. It says, Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? I said, Here I am. Send me. God has a message that he wants to get out to the world, and God has a pile of invitations that he's waiting for willing people to step up to the plate and say, here I am, I'll hand deliver that invitation. I'll bring this invitation of the cross. I'll bring this good news of Jesus to the world. That's the whole heart behind our Invitations Equal Encounters campaign, that we would realize that God's placed us where he's placed us for a reason, that there are lost and hurting people around us that are desperate for an encounter with him, and that every encounter, it doesn't just happen, every encounter begins with an invitation, and that we as a church would rally together and say, listen, I'm going to be a people that says, here I am, Lord, send me. You are placed where you're placed for a purpose. We serve a strategic God, and he strategically placed you where he's placed you to reach specific people, to extend the same invitation that he's handed to you. In 1 Corinthians, Paul calls us co-laborers with Christ. And just for a second, just think about that. The God of the universe wants to partner with us. Like that, that blows my mind in itself. But I was thinking about that word co-laborer, and it makes me think of manual labor. And a thing about me I love doing lawn work. Maybe not everybody out there. Maybe it's just the inner dad in me now that I've had Abel. But I love doing lawn work. I love being able to, to mow the lawn. I love getting out there, that fresh, green, cut grass as it, as it brings in. I, I love mowing the lawn. It's one of the things that I was the most excited about when we bought a house. And I think it has something to do with the fact that it's something that my dad and I used to do together growing up. Every Saturday, uh, I would wake up to the sound of a lawnmower outside of my window which meant one thing, I better get my rear out of bed and go help dad with the lawn or he's going to come in and get me. But, but something, um, uh, hindsight, looking back at that season, co-laboring with my dad on the lawn has taught me a couple of things about co-laboring with our heavenly father. And here's a couple of things that it taught me about labor. The first thing is this, is that labor can cause discomfort. It's hot outside. You got to get your hands dirty. You got to go down on your hands and knees, pull out weeds. It's sweaty. It's uncomfortable. Listen, we as believers are going to have to be a little bit more comfortable with discomfort. Partnering with God, doing the work that God's doing on this earth, us partnering with him means that we're going to have to be okay with a little bit of discomfort. It may be uncomfortable to invite somebody to church. It may be uncomfortable to invite somebody to your small group. It may be uncomfortable. It may be uncomfortable. But listen, this message of the cross is too important to let comfort be the thing that stands in the way between someone encountering Jesus. We're going to have to be okay with a little bit of discomfort. You might have to think. You might have to act outside of your personality makeup. I know we like to think in this day and age, well, listen, God's made me a certain way. and He's just not made me to reach people. Listen, 
That's not what the word of God says. What does the word of God says? Therefore, go. Therefore, go. So, so being a co-laborer with Christ is going to cause a little bit discomfort from time to time. Second thing is this. Labor takes intentionality. Labor takes intentionality. You got to pay attention to what you're doing. It's not just going to happen by accident. If you don't pay attention when you're mowing, then, you're, then your lines are going to get all out of whack. And if you don't have those nice, clean, even lines at the end of your lawn mowing, what is it even all for? Any slightly OCD people out there want to give me an amen this morning? Listen, it's going to take some intentionality. The same is true with our work with Jesus. You're never going to invite somebody to church on accident. You're never going to bring somebody to come to know the Lord on accident. You're not going to be driving here next week, Easter Sunday, and look over in your passenger seat and see a coworker with you and go, how'd you get in here? No. If you're going to bring someone, if you're going to extend an invitation, it's not going to happen on accident. It's going to take some intentionality. The third thing is this, the third and final thing is this, labor takes planning. Labor takes planning. When I mow, I have to work around the weather, the time of day, nap schedules. No one tells you as a parent how much you rely on nap schedules to get stuff done. I've got an eight-month-old, and I had this realization when we first came home from the hospital with him. See, my wife, she works night shift, and so she sleeps a lot of Saturdays during the day, but she's worked all night at the hospital. And so I had this realization when am I going to get the lawn done? Because it's not like I can just throw Abel in a little sling and go at it with an edger. Like I'm going to have to wait until I put the little guy down for a nap and then, and then hope he doesn't wake up mid-mow. Because then I have this awkward half a lawn done. But the point is I've got, I've got to plan around some of those things. The same is true with our walk with Jesus. We have to always be thinking ahead. Who, who am I bringing? Who has God put me in, in, in the path between destruction and heaven? Like, who, who, is, who has God put me where, I, where he's put me to reach? We have to always be thinking ahead. Who's next? What's next? Who am I supposed to be speaking to? Who am I supposed to be inviting? It's going to take some planning. Do you know what I love the most, though, about lawn work? It's not the mowing. It's not the edging. It's definitely not raking. I hate that. I'd rather just go over it with a lawnmower again. It's not any of those things. The thing that I love the most about lawn work is that moment right at the end. And some of you dads in here will be able to relate with me. It's that moment at the end when I, when I assume my dad's stance at the end of the driveway. And I'm, I'm looking at my kingdom. And I'm looking at the efforts that my hands have put forth and the difference that my efforts have made. I get to see what once was an overgrown lawn has turned into a nice, even, clean cut with those nice lines and that clean edge. Listen, the same is true with our co-laboring with Christ. We're going to have to wake up to the work that God's doing around us. Our God is at work in this world. We're going to have to wake up, just like I had to wake up to my dad mowing outside, we're going to have to wake up and realize that we have a part to play. And when we do, there's going to be these moments where we can take a step back and we'll get to look at all the difference that our efforts have made. And we'll begin to see all the fruit that's been produced through the efforts that we made and realize that we really had nothing to do with it. The only thing we, church, the only thing we offer God this morning is our yes. But he can do so, so much with your yes. If we'll just be people that say, Lord, here I am. Here I am. No matter who you are, here I am, God. Here I am. Send me. So that's the third myth we believe. Someone else will do it. Here is the fourth myth. 
And I'm, I wanna camp out here for just a second because I think it's a really relevant one to us today. I don't talk to people about God because I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to offend anyone. I don't think anyone in here would argue that we live in a highly offendable culture today. It seems like everyone is looking for a reason to be offended. We, we live in a society that says, hey, see things my way, accept my way of thinking, accept my way of living, treat me the way that I want you to treat me. Everything is me, me, me. And if you don't, if you don't, then I'm gonna be offended. And just a little side note here, I don't think we realize how much of an opportunity this is for us as believers to shine our light. In this culture that lives so highly offensive, so highly offendable, we have an opportunity to be a people that if we will choose to put on some thick skin and be a people that isn't easily offended, it's an opportunity to flip the script on the thinking of the world. It's an an opportunity to grab the attention of those around us. And this is actually... A, a, a characteristic of the love that God calls us to have towards other people. In 1 Corinthians 13, we find the love chapter. You guys know what I'm talking about. Love is patient. Love is kind. We like to quote it on Instagram posts about our significant other and on Valentine's Day and, 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 and at weddings. And that's all fine and dandy. But when you study that word love, what it actually means is it means brotherly affection. It means, it means this goodwill that we extend towards other people. It's the love that God's calling us to have towards the people around us. And so with that in mind, I want to read, I want to read this passage of scripture. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. We're going to start right there. The love that we're called to have towards others is patient, is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. Check this out. It is not self-seeking. It does not, is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now, what I want us to hone in on here is that phrase in verse five. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Look what it says in the amplified version. It says this, the love that we're to have towards other people is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not provoked nor, nor overly sensitive and easily angered. It does not take into account a wrong endured. Another way to say it is that the love that we're called to have towards other people is a love that isn't easily offendable. And I wonder what would happen if we as believers, if it took a lot to offend us. Like I wonder what would happen if we, if we put on some thick skin to the world and we, were, and we were known as a group of people that extended grace, that extended some mercy. Like what would happen, now bear with me here, I know this is no one in here, but, but, but what would happen if we didn't get offended at the ref at our kids' soccer game? A game by which they, they're not even keeping score, by the way, because that's a thing for some reason. But what if instead of getting offended at, at the ref at our kids' soccer game for making a call that we don't agree with, what if instead of getting offended, we chose to extend some grace and honor authority? Imagine the kind of example that it sets for the parents around us. Imagine the kind of example it sets for the kids that, 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 that are underneath us and are on that team. Or what if this, and again, I'm not talking about me here. I'm talking about you guys. What if the next time you were going through the drive-thru at Brahms, it's just, it's just, it's just a normal Friday night. All, all you want is your mix, your twist mix with Oreos and M&Ms. That's all you want, all you want. And you're going through the drive-thru and you start to pull away and you look. And again, this is not me, this is you guys. You, you look and you realize that Brahms has let you down again. 
you realize that they forgot to put one or both of the candies in your mix. It's just frozen yogurt in your cup. Uh, What if instead of getting offended and taking the position that, you know what, I bet that teenager did that on purpose to me. Like he's trying to derail my Friday night. What if instead of taking an offensive stance, we were a people that weren't easily offended and and we walked back in and we said, hey, listen, I I know it probably was not your intention, but you messed up my order. Would Would you mind fixing it for me? Just imagine, how often do you think people get treated like that? How often do you think people get given the benefit of the doubt? We have a saying here at New Song, it's, it's I'm going to believe the best. What if we took a mentality as the bride of Christ to walk around and believe the best? Instead of just taking up an offense and just assuming that we know what people are doing and their intentions, what if we were a people with thick skin? Think about how that shines our light to the world around us. It would totally be a countercultural way of thinking when it comes to this world that's so easily offendable. But I think that's one of the main reasons why we don't, we don't talk to people about God, we don't share our faith, or we don't invite people to church. It's because we do. The matter of fact is we do live in a world that's, that's highly offendable. We live in a world where it's not really kosher to talk about faith. It's not really socially acceptable to to bring up Jesus in in our workplaces. And I just want to ask the question here, at what point, at what point did we let society determine what was and wasn't appropriate for us to talk about and do? Socially acceptable should not be in our vocabulary when it comes to living the life that Jesus has called us to live. Socially acceptable should not be a metric that we're trying to, to meet. We're trying to live our lives in a way that honors the word of God, honors the mission that God's called us to do, partners with God to bring his light into this world. And if that's you, if if maybe um, you are afraid of what people might think of you, or maybe you're afraid of offending some people, maybe you do work around some incredibly highly offended, offending people, what what, I want to give you a little bit of freedom this morning to help combat that feeling, okay? Here's what it is. It's, it is impossible, no matter what you do, no matter who you are, no, ma- no matter what your intentions are, it is impossible to go through life without offending at least one person. It's impossible, no matter what you do, no matter what your intentions are, at some point you're going to offend someone. Like it reminds me of our first Easter here at New Song. First Easter here, and I'm going to give you a little New Song history. First Easter here at New Song, we are a brand new church, and we've got this idea that we want to put on this huge event, free event. Jake's laughing here in the front row. Free event. I say free because I want you to know it's going to cost people nothing. Free event to reach the community that they might come and hear this good news of Jesus. So we get this idea, what if we hired a helicopter to come in? fly in and drop 10,000 eggs filled with candy and giveaways on this big open field next to Charles Haskell where we used to meet. And we thought, man, this is gonna be a great event. And it was, it was, a, it was a successful event. We brought all these people and they got to hear about Jesus, but we were pumped about this event. And so we decided to put ads out wherever ads could go. So we put Facebook ads out, ads in magazine, ads on Instagram, ads everywhere. Here we are, brand new church, all excited about this free event for the community. And then we make the mistake of looking on our Facebook comments. And I think there's this dark corner of Facebook where all offenses really originate. Because out of the woodwork comes all these people commenting on our posts, calling us, leaving these hateful voicemails offended 
At what, you might ask? It's a great question. At what, you might ask? They were offended all types of things. One of them was this. They were offended that we would use candy to bring people in to hear about Jesus because a Kit Kat's going to cheapen the message of the cross. Did you not know that? (laughs) Second thing they were offended at, how dare you use eggs in the first place? There's no eggs in the Easter story. Haven't you read the Easter story before? You can't use eggs. It's not in the Easter story. But then the third one, this one's my favorite offense, was this lady, this sweet lady. God bless her. She called, left this wonderful, encouraging voicemail. And she was offended because she couldn't fathom how we would find it justifiable to, from a helicopter, drop real eggs. Not not plastic eggs, like real eggs from a chicken. Real eggs from a chicken on top of the heads of poor children. Like she thought, she thought we were gonna round up this herd of kids, be like, hey, listen, we've got something for you kids. Here comes Mr. Joe in the helicopter and just start throwing down eggs on them. Listen, no, that, no. They, they were gonna be at a safe distance and they were plastic eggs filled with candy. You can't do anything with a real egg. What's my point in telling that story? Our intentions were good. There was absolutely nothing offensive about what we were doing. We were offering a free event that families could come, could enjoy Easter, celebrate Easter, and hear about the word and the miracle of Jesus. But guess what? People still got offended. Listen, we can't let the fear of offending keep us from extending invitations. It's impossible to live life without offending at least someone. And it's especially impossible to live the life that God's called you to live without offending at least a few people. But hear me, it is possible to go through life without offending everyone. (laughs) Here's what I mean. If in the process of you inviting people to church, you talking to people about God, you sharing your faith, you inviting people to encounter him, if in that process you're offending everyone, you're probably doing something wrong. It's like Pastor Sarah talked about last week. You're probably being a tad too salty. Pull back your sodium in that moment. If you're walking around with a, like the morality police with your nose in the air, acting holier than, than thou, acting like you're better than everyone else that's ever existed because you go to church and they don't and they're a sinner and you're not. Listen, you're not acting like a disciple. You're acting like a Pharisee. You're not acting like a disciple. You're acting like a Pharisee. If anyone had the right to walk around with a holier-than-thou attitude, it would have been Jesus because he was literally holier than everyone who ever existed and who ever would exist. But he didn't. He didn't. It's really interesting to study the life of Jesus and to see the types of people that he offended because Jesus offended some people. Hear me. But it wouldn't be the people that you'd expect. The type of people that Jesus offended were Pharisees. They were the religious people who who looked down on anyone who did not see the world their way. Listen, you can't help but offending people like that. But do you know who, for the most part, didn't find Jesus offensive? It was sinners. Throughout scripture, we find stories of everyday sinners being attracted and flocking to Jesus. Why? Was it because he was soft on sin? No. He was uncompromising. He was unaccepting of it. But he didn't walk around spending his time condemning people. He spent his time trying to convict people. That word convict, another word for it, do you know what it is? It's convince. 
Jesus spent his time on earth walking around trying to convince people of a better way. And that way was himself. That he was the way, the truth, the life, the answer to every question they've ever had and to every problem that they would ever come against. Jesus didn't walk around going sinner, 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 sinner. He didn't. Instead, what he did was he, he walked around and he went, sinner, 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 but Savior, Savior, Savior. Yeah. And in the same way, we as believers, we are called to go in, just like Pastor Sarah talked about last week, and be the salt of the earth and preserve the God flavors by standing true to the word of God and upholding the standard of living that's set in the word of God. But we're not supposed to do it in a condemning way. We're supposed to be working with Jesus to convince the world of a better way, and that's Jesus. We're to walk around just like Jesus did and not to go sinner, 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 but instead to go sinner, 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 but Savior, Savior, Savior. Working with Jesus to convince the world that there is a better way, that there is another option. Our mission is clear. We're to go. We're to go. But how are we to go? Well, this is what I believe that God is calling us to do this morning. If you get nothing else, grab this, lean in with me. I believe that we're to be so moved by love so motivated by God's love for other people working in us that we would be willing to give anything. We'd be willing to do anything, to invite anyone, to say anything, to give anything, even our own lives, so that people might put their trust in this message of Jesus and find everlasting life and not perish. And that Jesus doesn't send us on this mission to condemn the world, but that through this miraculous invitation of the cross, through this miraculous invitation of a better way, people might put their trust in Jesus and find everlasting life. Do you know how I know that that's our mission on this earth? It's because that's what Jesus' mission. Look with me, John three sixteen. it says this. For God so loved the world, God was so moved by his love towards other people that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have an everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. Listen, I'm not saying that you won't offend some people. The message of the cross is offensive. If you, if you look in this verse right here, 1 Corinthians 1.8, it says this, for this message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us that are being saved, we know it to be the power of God. Listen, the gospel doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that a God this good would love someone this bad. Listen, the gospel doesn't make any sense. It's gonna ruffle some feathers, but, but we keep sharing it. Why? Because for those of us that are being saved, we know it to be the very power of God to bring about salvation. For those of us that are being saved, we know it to be the very power of God to fix marriages. We, we know it to be the very power of God to bring healing, to bring purpose, to bring restoration. We know it to be a better way. What if instead of worrying about whether or not we were gonna offend some people with our invitation though, what if instead we used our invitation to go on the offensive? What if we used our invitation of a better way to go on the offensive against broken marriages? What if we used our invitation of a better way to go on the offensive against the hold of hell that, that hell has on your coworker? What, what if we were to go on the offensive? It's kind of like football. Any football lovers in here today? Of course, it's Oklahoma. Um, I personally don't get it. I'm a basketball guy myself. I enjoy the sophisticated sport of basketball. It's like football is heavy metal and basketball is like jazz, you know? <laughs> And, and I, was, I was praying this morning, I was talking to God, and he wanted me to tell y'all that it is his will for the thunder to win today. And so if you would, join your faith with mine. <laughs> join your faith with mine. 
But for the sake of this illustration, we're going to use football. In football, the offense draws up specific plays to combat the defense that they're up against or based on what position they have on the field. And, and the goal of every offensive drive is what? It's to get a touchdown. It's to get a touchdown. And so for the sake of this illustration, uh, what, what's the win? What's the touchdown? The touchdown is going to be someone coming to church with you next week at Easter. Listen, Easter is one of the best times to invite people to church. People are more likely to accept an invitation for Easter Sunday than any other time of the year. Uh, Pastor Josh actually shared some statistics this week on Facebook. 82% of people, 82% of people are at least somewhat likely to accept accept an invitation to church. But guess what? Only 2% of churchgoers give out invitations. How about we choose to be in that 2% church? Amen? So here's what I want to do. I want to give us four plays. Four strategies that we can use this week to invite people to church next week. Okay, are you guys ready? Here's the, first, here's the first one. The first offensive play is this, the Hail Mary. I think you know where I'm going with this. This is, this is the Hail Mary. And these are all based off people in our church. I just want to honor them a little bit. The, this one's based off of KJ and AJ Johnson. KJ and AJ Johnson are some of the biggest bringers that I've ever met. Listen, when we first started the church, um, it seemed like every week I was meeting people and I would ask them, how'd you hear about, how'd you hear about our church? And they would go, well, do you know KJ and AJ? We'd be like, I do know KJ. I guess KJ and AJ know a lot of people. Um, it seemed like at, towards the beginning, like KJ, uh, like Pastor Josh was bringing the message and I was bringing the worship and then KJ and AJ were bringing all the people. <laughs> But for real, like there, there was times when I feel like we could have gone, who came to our church because of KJ and AJ? It would have been almost everyone in the room. They're just bringers. That's just, that's just who they are. In fact, one time I was at the Apple store, minding my own business, get my, Apple, my, my iPhone fixed. And all of a sudden, out of the corner of my eye, I see this giant arm waving at me from across the room. And it's KJ. He's saying, hey. KJ comes up to me. He's such a friendly guy. He comes up to me. He goes, hey, David, how's it going? And then my, my Apple salesman guy comes back. And, and all of a sudden, I feel a shift where he goes from looking at me, he goes to looking at this Apple store guy, and he goes, hey, this is the worship pastor at my church, and he's awesome. You should come. We've got good worship. You should come and join us at church. Listen, that's just who they are. They're looking for every opportunity, any opportunity, to turn the conversation towards Jesus and towards his church. And so we have the same opportunity in front of us. So how, how would you do the Hail Mary? Well, we're going to hand out a stack of invitations on, on your way out today. Grab those invitations, put them in your purse, put them in your backpack, take them with you to school, take them with you to work, and look and wait for Holy Spirit-initiated moments where you can toss up an invitation. What I love about the Hail Mary is that when, when, when a team calls a Hail Mary, they've got nothing else to lose. They, you know, not all the passes might land, some of them might, some of them might not. We're going to be throwing Hail Marys for as long as, as, as football is a sport. Why? Because you've got nothing to lose at that point. What do you have to lose this week? Uh, what are they going to say? No? Then, then you're back at that same spot. So let's choose to be people that throw up some invitations, that throw a couple Hail Marys this week. Okay, you with me? Second one is this. That was the first one, Hail Mary. This one is the get in my car. And it's not what you think. It's not weird or creepy or anything, the get in my car. This is based after the Daniel Wheeler strategy. Daniel Wheeler's in here in the front row. Daniel Wheeler is passionate about discipling and reaching his basketball team. He's a basketball coach at UCO, and he's passionate about reaching those guys for Jesus. And every week, you may not know this, but every week he leaves the nine o'clock service because he comes and he serves and helps. He was help, here helps setting up chairs. And every week he leaves, drives back over to UCO and says, hey, get in my car. 
And as many guys that will pile into his car, he brings them with him to church. What is he doing? Well, one, he's focusing in on a specific group of people. What's your specific group of people? Is it your workplace? Is it your family? Is it the the basketball team that you're on? What's your specific group of people? And then the second thing he's doing is he's trying to get rid of every obstacle that might be in the way of them coming and hearing about Jesus. So how do we do the get in my car strategy? Maybe for you, you find what that small group is. You find, find what that small sphere of influence is. And you, you work at figuring out what's the obstacle in the way. Maybe you need to offer a ride. Maybe you need to say, hey, I'll bring the Starbucks with me. Maybe you need to bribe them with a lunch. Whatever it is, get the obstacles out of the way of them coming to encounter Jesus. Okay, so that's the, under, that's the get in my car. The third play is this, and this is my favorite play. It's called the undercover kid. The undercover kid. This is based on the Pastor Josh and Pastor Sarah's strategy. Every year, they grab a handful of Boomtown invites because we're gonna hand out invites that are specifically for them. We're giving away some Nintendo Switches and some other giveaways. But that, that room is gonna be very attractive to kids. It's a great tool to get families here into this church. They grab a handful of those invitations. They grab a, they, they grab a bag full of candy. They slap that candy on the invite and then they use their kids as a mule to traffic invitations into the school system. And what I love about this is one, they don't have to do anything. Like they're getting their kids to invite people to church for them. But the second thing is this, is it's involving their kids in the process. It's teaching their kids, listen, we're a family that believes in inviting people to come encounter Jesus. It's inviting them in the process of, hey, who do you wanna invite, Bo? Hey, Gus, who, who on your team do you want to invite? Hey, hey, Sonny, who do you want to bring with you to church this weekend? And then the third reason why this is such an effective strategy is if you can get a kid excited about coming to church, you can get the whole family to come. If you can get a kid to be like, Mom, they're giving away free Nintendo Switches. I got to be there this weekend. Listen, you're going to get that whole crew of people. All right, so here's what you can do. Do you have kids? Grab a handful of those invitations, slap some candy on there, make sure it's peanut free because you can't bring peanuts into the school. Send those with them to, in their backpacks with them to school on Monday, okay? Fourth strategy, and this is the last one. I'll close with this. This is the long game, the long game. And this is based off the Nathan strategy that we, we watched the video of. What I love about that encounter is that Nathan didn't come out the gate with an invitation to church or talking to him about Jesus or anything like that. That, that. That's totally okay sometimes to do. But what Nathan did was he had the spiritual maturity to wait for just a second and decided that the better strategy would be to develop some relationship with Denzel. To spend the time playing basketball with him, an unspiritual thing, hanging out, developing some relational equity with Denzel. That he came to a point where he cashed in on that relational equity And it came to fruition with an invitation. And so here's what you can do. Where are you going to frequent every day this week? I'm giving you permission. Go to Starbucks every day this week and pick out a barista. I'm sorry, husbands, that I just did that. (laughs) What about the gym that you go to? Who's who's checking you in every day? Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's someone in your class. Maybe it's a teacher. I I don't know. But who are you going to see every day this week? And go in Monday and allow the Holy Spirit to highlight someone to you. And then commit to spend the week praying for them. Begin to spend the week developing some dialogue with them. To opening up about who you are. Figuring out who they are. Developing some relational equity. So then on Friday, you can come in and you can go, hey, I just want to invite you to 
come and be a part of the greatest thing that I've ever seen. And that's Jesus. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes. Who are you bringing? Let me, let me set this stage for you next week. It's, it's Easter Sunday. This room is empty. All the chairs are set and the presence of God is here. Jesus is in the room and he's waiting to encounter whoever might walk through that door. Who are you inviting to that encounter? Just allow the Holy Spirit to highlight some people in your life to you. Maybe you need to get out your phone and write them down. Maybe you need to lean over to your spouse or to your friend and just kind of let them know who you're thinking. Who, Who is it? Who are you bringing? And then just pray this prayer. Say, Lord, here I am. Send me. Wherever you want me to go. Whatever you want me to say. Jesus, what an honor to be used by you in any way. you would include us in your plans what an honor so Jesus I pray for boldness this week I pray for a heightened sense of hearing that we'd be able to hear and see what you're doing around us that we would wake up to the work that that you're doing in this world right now that we wouldn't be insecure about how much we know or how much we don't know that 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 we wouldn't be discouraged by people that might take an offense but that Jesus we would be bold we would be bold realize that there are lives at stake. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.